Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. Psalm 119 says, The entrance of your words give light. They impart understanding to the simple. Today's topic is questioning Jesus. I've been focusing on the Gospel of John, and specifically chapter 6, which is Jesus' is teaching by means of answering questions as well as asking questions the day after he has fed the multitude of 5,000 or more on the shores of the Galilean lake. You remember the story that Jesus performed this great miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, and then the people began to recognize that this might be the prophet that Moses foretold, and so they wanted to come and make him king. But Jesus forestalled this seditious act by retreating up to the mountain further, away from the crowds, and sending his own 12 disciples, his apostles, away in a boat. Therefore, he was able to escape this seditious act. The next day, however, the crowds arrive on the other side where he is gone, and they engage him in conversation. And the conversations of Jesus and the Jews and the conversation of Jesus and his disciples revolves around a series of questions. I'd like to go over John 6 with you, looking at these questions. You see, there are different types of questions who function in different ways. There's the questions of information. That is, we're soliciting information. We want to know something, and so we're asking for knowledge. Uh, there are questions of unbelief. Of uh, We find something incredulous, and we question it for whatever particular reasons. Uh, there can be questions even of defiant unbelief, in which we basically reject what a person is saying, and we do so by, by means of a question. And then there are questions that emit emotion and pain uh, in a way that's also searching for information, but it's personal, intimate information based on relationship. Well, let's look at these questions together. Reading from John chapter 6 and verse 25, When they, that is the crowds, found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, the reason for this question is that it might have been somewhat of a mystery to them is how he got there, because they know that his disciples left in the boat and went across the Sea of Galilee without him, and yet there he was with them the next day. So how did you get here? But Jesus doesn't answer that question. He does not tell them how he got there. Instead, he said to them, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, Jesus cuts through the chase of their question and goes to the heart of the matter. I know why you're seeking me. You're seeking me because you want another free meal. You want me just to provide for you physical food. But understand, you should not be working for the food that perishes, but working for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. 
He's speaking of himself, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So they come back to him with a question. Perhaps it is a question of information, of what must we do to be doing the works of God? Well, Jesus answers that question. He directly tells him, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. In other words, he's saying, God's work is that you believe in me. But then they come back with a question, basically, of rejecting his claims and expressing unbelief. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Now, this is an incredulous question because just the previous day, he had fed them miraculously by the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. And they had ate until they were totally satisfied. And so now they, they ask him this question, well, what sign do you do? Well, he had already given a sign to them the previous day. And then they have the audacity to compare uh, him to Moses in saying, well, you know, God did something special with Moses, but you... Okay, here's what they said. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. That's true that that God gave them bread from heaven, but they were implying that Moses gave them bread from heaven. Jesus sets the record straight. He says, I tell you the truth, it was not Moses that gave you the bread from heaven. It was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. He's comparing himself, yes, to the manna, but even the manna, And the desert was bread provided by God using the natural elements of the world. But it was miraculous, yes. But Moses had nothing to do with it except announcing to the people that this was God's provision and God's intention and what God did then to sustain the people throughout their journey until they reached the border of Canaan was that he fed them manna daily. But Jesus makes then the claim that he's the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again, he's making a direct claim about himself being the bread that God has sent. And they say to him, Sir, give us this bread all the time. And Jesus reinforces, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger and who believes in me will never thirst. But they have come to him in unbelief, and he knows that, and he exposes that. He goes on to make further claims about himself, and they meet all of these claims with a grumbling question, question of protest, grumbling. The Jews grumbled about him, saying, Is this... Not Jesus, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father we know, whose mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? This is just unbelief. Unbelief because they know him in the natural. They know his his family. All of these people, most of these people are from that portion of northern Israel around Galilee. And Jesus his family is from Nazareth, and he now lives in Capernaum. There's Canaan and these other towns around there. They know this family. They know Jesus. And since he's a hometown boy, they reject his claim that he could be of supernatural or divine origin. 
So they grumble about him and reject him because of that reason. Well, Jesus answers again their question by pointing to the scriptures that speak about how God would do the action of providing salvation for his people. Again, he contrasts the manna of the desert with himself. The bread that came to the people in the wilderness, the manna, they ate it and it sustained their life for a while, but then ultimately they died. And if you kept that bread more than 34 hours, it would breed worms and you couldn't eat it. In contrast, he says, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. One may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven, and I give life. And how will he do this? He tells him, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, now the Jews break out with a dispute among themselves and another grumbling question. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Again, it's incredulous. What this man is saying is off the charts. It's off the wall. But Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So he meets their question not by directly answering it again because he just told them, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, obviously that means that in some way, His flesh must be involved in dying if it is to give life to the world. He asserts his claim. Now, that's the Jews' question. And for the most part, all of these are people of rank unbelief. They were following him because of the miracles, because of benefits. But now many of his disciples, having heard his statements about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, they too become disturbed. And theirs is a question. They say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? It's just that it's just too difficult to understand. And so they refuse to hear it anymore and they walk away. Jesus' statement to them is, do you take offense at this? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where it was before? You see, again, a claim of heavenly origin and that he will be going back to heaven as well. Jesus meets questions sometimes with his own questions. That's what he does here. But lastly, we come to a question toward the end of the chapter. After this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. And so this is probably a a day or two later, maybe a week later. At any rate, Jesus asked a question And it's a question that expresses his heart, a heart that is in pain at the loss of people walking away, of those who had been his disciples, at least they had been hearing him and following after him and wanting to know more, but now they've walked away. And so Jesus says to the twelve who are with him, do you want to go away as well? But Simon Peter answers his question with the question, Lord, to whom shall we go? This is a question of belief. Because you said, we may not understand all that you're saying, but we know this, that we have no one else to go to because you have the words of eternal life. 
And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights.